This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Friday edition of Game Misconduct. I'm Don LaGreca. Tonight, Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Final. The scene shifts to Montreal, one of the great places in North America, but unfortunately just 3,500 fans at the Bell Center. But I'm sure they'll be in good throat tonight. First Stanley Cup Final series ever in this building and the first Stanley Cup Final in Montreal since 1993 and the man that will paint the word picture for you on radio up in montreal is the great dan robertson and of course he does the games with sergio mameso dan it's don lagreca thanks for giving me a couple of minutes man i really appreciate it anytime always good to talk with you don yeah and it's good to listen to you on the satellite radio um listen i'm i like i love dave mishkin too but you know what he loses the face off to you and i'm listening to the stanley cup final you and serge do a great job and you know my wife's allegiance so uh you've been uh You've been in my home quite a bit, sir, and uh, the family's enjoying it. Well, that's good to hear. I've been uh, listening to you for long before I got this job, so I've always felt I've known you a little bit. So it's fun to fun to come on and talk shop. And everybody's happy and healthy? Everybody's happy and healthy, yeah. Um, it's a, you know it's such a, a strange year, as we all know, for everybody, and that's the understatement of a lifetime. But tonight will be the first game uh, at the Bell Center. First uh, Stanley Cup final game at the Bell Center, I should say. First time uh, anyone's ever played in July and the Canadians are looking for the first win of the series. That's the most important thing. It's been uh, it's a tough Tampa team to deal with, but uh, they're pretty optimistic going into game three, I'd say. Now, was it a kick to the stomach when Quebec rejected the uh, the 10,000 plus in the Bell Center and that you're still going to be stuck at 3,500 fans? It really was. It, it was surprising. And, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of it, and a lot of us don't. But, look, our feeling was we've all followed the rules. Uh, numbers are way down. Um, vaccine, vaccines are, are up, you know, uh, a lot of uh, – I can't remember what the, the number is of, of people who've had two, but I thought, and we all thought, that the number would go up. So, you know, the, they went from twenty five to 3,500, as you mentioned, but then to go to ten five would have been – really something and and it kind of very much dawned on me in games one and two in Tampa because that place while not full it was rocking and I thought man I would and that's always sort of been my personal dream since I started this job I thought imagine calling a cup final in a full bell center because as you know it's and look I love MSG it's, it's it is I'm not just saying this it's my second favorite place to call a game but there's something about the crowd here and about the atmosphere that really in my opinion is unmatched and unfortunately we're not going to see that no, listen, I, I've been at some big games there. I got to call game one of the conference final back in 2014. That's the closest I came to calling a cup final in Montreal. And, and we're we're simpatico. I've got it one, two as well with Montreal one. It's 20,000 plus. It's kind of European soccer feel to it. And yeah, that's certainly going to be missed. And those those 3,500 will, will be loud, but certainly nothing like 20 plus. Now you go back to game two. And you had them. I, I thought that was the game plan, right? You played well, the best game that I think the Canadians certainly have played uh, again of the of the two, and and probably good enough to win. Now, how how do you walk out of that if you're the Canadians? That we missed a golden opportunity, or hey, the template's been set. We know we can play with these guys. We know we can beat these guys. We'll just gotta go out and continue to do what we did in game two. Well, I think on the outside, they're going to put their best foot forward and, and kind of say what you said in, in the second part of that question. And, and that's the way they should look at it. I mean, they proved that, I won't say they proved they can beat them, but they, they outplayed Tampa Bay. But 
I really think on some level, Don, it's got to sink in that, okay, we played that well and we had a great second period and we got outscored 2-1. to one. And that Coleman goal late, I mean, I don't know. that It reminded me 2015 of the, uh, the second round. Tyler Johnson scored a goal in game three in Tampa and put Tampa Bay up 3 nothing, and there was two seconds left on the clock in the game. And I know it's a different situation, a different setting. I, I think that has to be hard to get out of your head. Um, as an athlete. But, yeah, they will sort of look on the bright side and say, if we keep playing like that, surely we'll get breaks. But even when they do get breaks, Vasilevsky is there. It just shows what a deep team Tampa, Tampa is, which everybody knows. Yeah, they're just a, a really – they'll beat you any way that they can. And what, one thing that was discovered here throughout the playoffs in, in this what many people believe is a miracle run to the Stanley Cup final is – to really weigh heavily on the top four defensemen. And how difficult is it going to be? And Deshaun's going to be back, so that that's certainly going to help from a coaching standpoint. You can't just play four defensemen, Dan. How how will they get through not trying to hide that third pair, but like really be able to rely on those top four, especially if you're protecting a lead? I think we're starting to see the effects of what you're talking about, Don, because uh, that's what's happened, that third pairing with John Merrill and uh, Eric Gustafson. They they spot them where they can. They'll give them different partners. They're not out there as a tandem very often. And what people are crying for here in Montreal is Alexander Romanov, the 21-year-old who, I mean, he was in the bubble last year watching them play. He played 56, uh, 54 or 56 games in the regular season. He's 21 years old, uh, you know, full of energy at the worst of times. I mean, this kid is bouncing off the walls and dying to get in there. And we saw him a couple of times in the postseason. Brett Kulak, too, is actually a pretty good defenseman. So it's it's something that Canadians fans, and they're not mentioning Kulak as much as they are Romanov. Um, I won't say across the board. They're, they're wondering where those guys are. and uh, But it's, it's pretty close. And I look at it, Gustafson may have him primarily to work in the power play. He's kind of reluctant to shoot the puck. Merrill is steady, mostly, but those four guys um, that the Canadians have been leaning on so heavily, and physically with Edmondson, Sherrod, and Weber, they've given so much, and Petrie's not as physical, but at some point, I think it's, it's, it's really going, we're going to see it if this series goes along, because uh, those guys aren't fleet of foot, and uh, Weber is a little long in the tooth, and I say that, they've all been terrific, but I think it's going to catch up with them at some point. Yeah, you would think, and and that you just try to see if you can find a way to survive it. Uh, Deneau's just been unreal uh, on the outside looking in. It it seems like a revelation, but did you know that he was capable of being this kind of shutdown guy and being this big of a difference in the playoffs? There's certainly been signs of it over the last couple of years. Something that was telling this year was Nathan McKinnon was on a podcast and he was asked who the toughest to play against is. And he brought uh, Philippe Deneau's name up pretty quickly. And I thought that was revealing, especially considering they only play each other twice in the regular season in, in a normal normal year. So uh, he's been excellent uh, on face-offs. He's won countless key draws. And look, he's he's been difficult to deal with. He did a really good job against Austin Matthews in the first round, and then Mark Scheifele was knocked out. Uh, well, he knocked out Jake Evans and was suspended, as we all know. Right. And then, uh, but then O did a really good job against Vegas, too, and they had trouble down the middle. But it's interesting, too, not to get too far ahead. He's a UFA, and I wonder 
where he's going to go. I don't think they can afford to keep him here in Montreal. I guess the flip side of that, he doesn't score. He doesn't have a goal in, I think, 20 games. I have to double-check. Uh, he's parked that. He's part of a line with Arturi Lekkinen and Brendan Gallagher. Gallagher hasn't been scoring either. They've committed themselves to, to playing good team defense. They did get the goal. Lekkinen got the series over, winning overtime goal uh, against Vegas. But, yeah, Dano is – it's nice to see. He's a great kid. He's from Victoriaville, which is a couple of hours away, and he's really dug in defensively. And I, I just can't help but wonder uh, what he's going to make next year. I know there's a lot of implications there, but in the time being, he, he's really putting his heart and soul into this playoff run. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Like, how can you keep him? Because that is going to be very much mm-hmm. sought after for teams that feel like they need to get over the hump. And you know it just by the way you look at these teams. You build through center, defense, and goaltending. And, and that's that's what Montreal has. I mean, up the middle, um, very, very strong. Suzuki has been uh, great for you. Stoll, I think, has been a tremendous addition. But losing Deneau, uh, you'd hate to see it to be uh, an eventuality, but it could be you know, because I'm sure he's going to be very sought after in the offseason. He is, and it's it always comes down to economics, as we know. Um, Jake Evans, who I mentioned, maybe they're thinking he can play that role, and he's looked good at times this year for sure, and they can give him a much cheaper option. I, there is something in me that certainly believes, to an extent, Daniel would take a hometown discount, but there was reports out earlier this year that he was offered $30 million over six, five or six years, I can't quite remember, and turned it down. He, he never did confirm that, and of course he, he wouldn't do that publicly. But And then you think, you know, is, is he worth that, right? Um, to a contender, certainly. We've always said here in Montreal that uh, when Philippe Dano is their third-line center, then that's a really good team. So I'm, I'm not sure how you classify it right now. I mean, certainly Suzuki is their number one guy. Cock and Yemi's coming along. Uh, he won't be he'll be 21 on the sixth, so he's still just a kid. So is Suzuki, but yes, Dano, who called those two his kids <laughs> when training camp started, right. uh, he's helped them along the way. But he is certainly a big part of this team for for the Canadians. Dan Robertson is the voice of the Montreal Canadiens. We're talking to him on the uh, just moments before we get ready for a pivotal game three of the Stanley Cup Final in Montreal. Coco Field is really just. Hit the world like gangbusters here. He's getting talked about and the 15th overall pick a couple of years ago. How surprising he has he been to you jumping in here and contributing the way he has? Uh, fairly surprising. I We all knew that he could score goals, and I don't think we, just from what we knew or what we watched, what we read, I didn't think he'd come in here and get shut down offensively, and he didn't do that. What I wondered was how would he play without the puck? And how would he absorb the physical punishment? And so far, so good. He's not, um, you know, a great defensive winger by any stretch. I don't imagine he ever will be, but he's not hurt the Canadians. I can't think of one time where he's really been out of position in his own zone. I can't. Yeah, Tampa's um, sort of jacked up the heat on him physically, but he's holding his own. He he bounced back. Suzuki certainly did in game two. The, the line of a rough line, uh, rough night in game one, but they all played well, I thought, in game number two. But he scored that goal in game six where he chipped the puck to himself around Braden McNabb uh, <laughs> against Vegas, and it was just remarkable just to see that skill on display is something. And he, he seems to be the kind of kid who can ri- uh, you know, rise to the occasion. And it's a, like a situation where they made a, a blockbuster trade in the middle of the season, and they didn't have to give anything right. up. It's kind of fascinating, too. They, they didn't play him in the first two games of the playoffs. So then he comes out, and uh, really since the Vegas series, that's when he started the catch fire. He is, he is a compelling character. 
And Carey Price is interesting conversation for me, Dan, because, you know, here in New York, we saw Brodeur with his cups and, of course, Lundquist no cups, but a bunch of Vesnas and being an elite goaltender and what Flurry has done. Where Where is Carey Price to you uh, in this generation of goaltender? And did he need this run to kind of solidify and get people to pay attention to just how good a goaltender he is? I think it's helped. Obviously, a cup would really make a huge difference, fair or not. I mean, we know it's a team sport, but that's been the talk, I guess, uh, ever since I got here in 2014. And, and when I did, that that was the year he won the Hart Trophy, and he was just as good as – that was as good a season as you can have as a goaltender, I think. But people would say, okay, is he as good as Watt and Dryden? Well, what's the difference? He hasn't won a Stanley Cup. I mean, the, the teams in front of him certainly – uh, haven't been as good as those two goaltenders I mentioned previously. It, it is it is fascinating. I mean, you, where do you put him? I know one thing. Uh, he was by far the best goaltender ever not to play in a final prior to this year. Right. And uh, we were doing it at the station, trying to figure out who's the next. Is it Curtis Joseph? You know, it was kind of a kind of a short list. Um, where is he among this generation? He's I don't know. I, I would have to say right at the top and i think because of the what he's done um internationally and also too i think it's worth a lot from uh, what you hear from his peers and not that they're scientific but those player polls that come out every year they say you know he's the best goaltender in the game Uh, i think he's playing right now against the best goaltender in the game of Vasilevsky. but what price has done the last two years not good regular seasons at all he's been able to dial it up in the postseason. So, uh, and if they're going to get back into it, it's going to be on him to play tonight. He has to be better than Vasilevsky, which is a pretty tall order. Yeah. But it's it's been fun to see him kind of get his just due here in the postseason. Well, I got to tell you, I know he's going to blush, but th- this is one of the best in the game. I, I, I miss him. I usually would always see him a couple of times in Montreal or at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> and if you're driving around and you got satellite radio, Tonight, I'm sure it's going to be on uh, Sirius XM Channel 91. That's usually where they put the home games. You'll be able to hear Dan and Sergio Mameso. And later on in the series, when they shift back to Tampa, and hopefully that will be the case for the Canadians, don't give up if you get the Tampa feed on 91. Go to 219. That's where I found you for game two. So hunt around. It's worth it because you do a terrific job. And uh, I miss you, and I can't wait to see you down the road next year. Hopefully in the fall, Don. I appreciate your time. It's been really fun. That's Dan Robertson, play-by-play voice of the Montreal Canadiens, wanted to just get his thought on what's happening here with this series because it was such a missed opportunity in Game 2, right? They played well enough to win the game and then didn't win. So that could either cripple you to say, boy, there's just no way to beat this team. Even when we play out of our minds, we still lose. Or is it to template to say, we play the exact same game, home the next two, we can go back to Tampa for a game five, even at two games apiece, and anything can happen. So scoring the first goal is going to be important, getting things going. But, you know, EJ talked about it for weeks into these playoffs that when you're going to rely on just four defensemen, it's going to wear them down, it's going to expose you, and we'll see if they try to tweak and try to replace uh, Gustafson or Merrill Uh, tonight or in the future so that's what's happening there the other story uh victor arvidson gets traded to the los angeles kings for picks it's obvious what's happening here nashville's in a rebuild they're not going to be duped because they made the playoffs this year to think that they're anything but a team that really needs to retool 
That's a lot of money off their cap, so they can make it a quick turnaround by leaving themselves some cap. And the Kings are starting to build, right? Then a CU deal last year, and then you bring in Arvidsson now. They're starting to kind of be on the back end of their rebuild and kind of get back into uh, the playoffs and what's, I think, going to be a very wide-open Pacific division. Uh, certainly Vegas uh, is the team to beat in that division, but I think the Kings played well enough in this 56-game schedule to believe that a tweak here or there, that they could be out of this rebuilding back into a postseason contender. And listen, Nashville had a bunch of kicks at the can going to the Stanley Cup Final in 2017, competing at a very elite level, but now you're starting to see that it's wearing down a little bit and they need to go in a different direction and they need to rebuild. And it's a shame for Pecorine because he's going to end up being one of those goaltenders, right? That probably be one of those elite goaltenders in the NHL and never win a Stanley Cup. But there's a laundry list of goaltenders that have been in that situation. So I think that's just a, it's a really good deal for both teams. All right, let's hear from you at Don LaGreca, hashtag game is conduct, and let's go uh, to Donnell Weaver, who says, so the Rangers hired Gerard Gallant as the new head coach weeks ago. So, Don, who is the best coach in the tri-state area for hockey? Gerard Gallant for the Rangers, Barry Trotz for the Islanders, or Devils head coach Lindy Ruff? Well, listen, uh, Lindy's gone to a Stanley Cup final, uh, came up short back in 1999, uh, Gerard Gallant, of course, went to a Stanley Cup final a couple of years ago with Vegas, but the resume belongs to Barry, right? Barry's uh, took an, uh, an expansion team in Nashville and made them relevant, won a Stanley Cup, uh, I think, on the cusp of winning another one. The answer to that, to me, clearly is Barry Trotz. Uh, Johnny says, what's your take on the league changing the cap rules for the playoffs next season after the Bolts scam their way to the finals this year? All right, we talked about this with EJ a couple of weeks ago. What what can you do about it? Kucherov was out for the year. They are then allowed to add to a team when a guy is out. Now, do you want to make him ineligible for the postseason? Otherwise, his money has to count towards the cap. Is that fair? If you've got a player that's going to be out the entire regular season but be, could, could be eligible for the postseason, should that money still count towards the cap? That's really the only answer you can give. And is that fair? Um, and if you do, if you don't do that, like the current rule that you have now, then you have the speculation: well, Kucherov could have played, and they held him out, and that way they were able to go out and make the tweaks to the lineup, uh, make some trades, add to the salary cap, and then all of a sudden there's no salary cap in the postseason, and Kucherov is able to join. I, I don't know if you want to have a salary cap in the postseason. Uh, there, I'd like to see them at least take a look at this, but. That's more on the league than it is the Lightning because I think the Lightning, they didn't do anything wrong. And Kucherov was out, was a serious injury. Nobody's going to be able to say, oh, well, he could have came back with a week left in the season. He could have came back with a month left in the season. You can't really say that. You know, sometimes you do have injuries where a guy is not eligible for the regular season but can be better and can go and play in the postseason. So it's a really difficult thing to prove. So... Do you want to just maintain the cap for injured players? Well, then how, how are teams going to be able to replace the players when guys are seriously hurt? Do you want to have a cap in the postseason? Well, then what do you do with the players that you go out and acquire? 
would it make sense for Savard not to be eligible to play because the only reason you were able to acquire him from, from Columbus was because of the room on the cap when Kucherov was hurt. So you see what I mean? There's really I, – I, it's, it's a difficult spot. It really is. And the one thing I do not want to ever see, I would rather see what Tampa did than have a situation that you had in Vegas this year, a few years ago in Chicago, where a team like dresses 17 players because the cap won't allow them to add players. You know, you don't want to get that. And you would have that if you have – if you were to say, oh, Kucherov's salary is going to stay on the books – even though he's hurt, well, then guys don't get replaced properly, at least with guys that are significant. So uh, I, I, it's a tough spot. Uh, more brighter minds than me are going to have to try to figure that out. Uh, let's go to Fabio, who says, do you think the Rangers will re-sign Booch, or meaning Bushnevich this offseason, and what do you expect his next contract to look like? Well, I think it's going to look not quite to what um, Kreider's contract is, but it's going to be pretty significant. I mean, he had a big year. I'd like to see him come back because he really matured into a player that has become, force might be too strong of a word, but certainly a contributor to what the Rangers were doing. So I think it'll be a pretty decent contract. It's not going to be of the Criders or the Panarins or or like that. But I, I and, and listen, you run the risk of maybe if you don't come up with the bigger money that he could end up uh, being a bit of a problem as far as, you know, he's a restricted free agent, so there's compensation, but I think they will make that work. I think Bushnevich is a part of their future, and I thought that was an excellent article by Larry Brooks in the New York Post, and he even said that it was probably time for Quinn to go, but for the people that thought that Quinn did an awful job, you look at how Bushnevich matured under him, he was a real... He was a real headache under A.V., and A.V. just could not get the best out of him, and Quinn did, and he became a better player under Quinn. Fox became a better player under Quinn, so I know a lot of Ranger fans want to just dismiss what David Quinn here did for his three years, but I look at Bushnevich and I look at Fox as two guys that I think really improved under his tutelage. Joe says, hey, Don, I love offense. A return to the 92-93 level would be very welcome. But today, teams are so even with parity. However, I would like more offense so we can challenge some unbeatable records. Thoughts on potential rule changes to make that happen? Well, it's starting to happen just on its own, right? Parity has allowed these teams to be a little bit more competitive. We've seen uh, the changes that they made coming out of the lockout back in 0405, the clutching and grabbing. Uh, the trapezoid, uh, the elimination of the red line, all are things that have expanded the offense. And now we've seen over the last 15 years, the game has grown from a more physical plotting game into a more wide open game. And we've seen guys like Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews take advantage of that by having big seasons. So I wouldn't really make any changes. I mean, there's certain certain things that you can do if you wanted to make a two-minute penalty a major which means you get to score at will for the two minutes instead of uh instead of just uh, scoring and then they go they go back to five on five which was a rule back before the montreal canadians that took advantage of it in the 60s and 70s making the nets bigger is something i don't want to ever see um i i really uh there's little tweaks maybe like if you commit a penalty or if you're on the power play and the, the period expires then maybe the face-off is in the offensive zone rather than being at center ice. You know, little things like that. Uh, maybe 
be a little bit more diligent calling the penalties, which would create more power play opportunities, uh, expanding overtime uh, to where it gets four-on-four then to three-on-three or playing three-on-three for maybe seven, eight minutes instead of five obviously can make things a little bit more interesting and have more offense or, or, or games decided in overtime rather than going to the shootout. Little things like that. But, yeah, offense is certainly uh, a lot of, uh, of fun, and I would like to see uh, whatever rules you can do to bring that uh, in. Um, Donnell asked another question about, um, hey, Don, since the NHL will be done with the, uh, with NBC after the finals, how do you feel about the entry draft for the Seattle Kraken and the 2021 NHL draft being on ESPN? Well, that that happened because of the Olympics. I think we talked about this with EJ, that because of the Olympics moved a year to 2021, that does not allow NBC, the, the programming time, to be able to have the expansion draft and the NHL draft, so ESPN jumped on it. So that's why that happened, and it's good. Get better exposure, right, to uh, to those things, because now ESPN is a partner, and to me, I know that looks like an, an event that ends a season, but to me, it kind of begins a new era, right? Seattle Kraken are going to be in this ESPN TNT era, right? The the players that are going to be drafted are going to be in this new television era. So why not have those events be on the new television network? So I think that's a, that's a good idea all around. All right, here's how we're going to lay it down. Because I was talking with EJ about coming on Monday, which would be for game four. But, you know, everybody's going to be off. That's kind of the de facto 4th of July for the Monday because 4th of July is on Sunday. So everybody's going to be off on Monday. So let's come back on Tuesday and let's do the next game misconduct on Tuesday that everybody will be back to work and we'll be able to recap, hopefully, um, a series that is still alive. I mean, technically, if the Tampa wins the next two games, Tuesday's podcast could be just wrapping up the season with the first sweep of the Stanley Cup final since 1998. But hopefully Montreal can make it interesting just from the perspective of keeping Habaki alive a little bit longer. So hopefully when we come back on Tuesday, we'll be talking about a potential Game 5 and hopefully, just because of a competitive standpoint, nothing against Tampa, but hopefully talking about a 2-2 series and, and having this thing go deep. So you want to get in touch with me over the weekend, the holiday weekend, at Don LaGreca, hashtag Game Misconduct. Thanks so much to Dan Robertson at the last minute to join us. Uh, he is, the, of course, the radio play-by-play voice of the Montreal Canadiens, so we will hopefully have him on again down the road, but good job out of him. Anthony Pusick doing a great job as usual. Back with you again on Tuesday. This was the Friday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.